Welcome to Mahogany Moms Podcast. My name is Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, but you can call me Dr. Shell. I'm here to provide support and education on all things motherhood. Join me every other Wednesday for encouragement, inspiration, and information as we delve into health, mental and physical, education, money, and everything else that comes with this motherhood journey. Hey y'all, it's Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, educational psychologist, maternal mental health expert, parenting coach, and author. I'm with you guys for another episode of the Mahogany Moms podcast. This time, though, it's going to be a little bit different. I know I've said that before, but we're celebrating International Women's Month. And someone asked me to share my own experience getting to where I am. (laughs) And so it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Put on your seatbelt and listen in. Some of it, I hope, resonates with you. And if it doesn't, it just doesn't. (laughs) Right. Okay, so let's get into it. I want to put a disclaimer. So as a woman of faith, a lot of my experience is going to be, a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today, I'm going to be talking about how my faith played a role in the experiences that I've had. So if you're not a person of faith or a non-believer, continue to listen. You never know where something that I say or something that someone else says could be of help or use to you. All right, so let's get into it. You've heard me say I am an educational psychologist. Lots of people are like, well, what is that? So I'm just going to go back to way back to the beginning. So when I was in high school and I graduated, I went to the Gremlin State University and I had decided to major in psychology and I had a plan, right? As most people do. Well, I think most people anyway. Anyway, so I had a four-year plan to graduate get my degree in psychology, and then go on to grad school for another five years to get my PhD in psychology. That was my goal. I had tunnel vision and nothing was going to stop me from accomplishing what I had set out to do. So I did. I I went to Grambling. I finished in four years. I took like 18 hours a semester, which was a lot. But anyway, I digress. We're not going to spend time talking about that. (laughs) And so when I graduated from Grambling, I was looking at grad schools. And, you know, when you're looking at grad schools, you're looking at schools that are going to give you money. And for whatever reason, when I was talking to people, I don't know what people I was talking to, but just different people, they were like, it's good to see a change up in your educational background. So Gramlin is a historically black college and university. So they were saying, well, maybe you should try a PWI for grad school. Why did I listen to them? I don't know, but I did. And so I was accepted um, to the program at UTIP. And at the time, I thought I wanted to study psychology and law. So my idea was I wanted to work in the prison system. I wanted to help the the men in the prison system to, to get better and to, you know, deal with some of their stuff and all of this craziness. And so I did. I left when I graduated from Grambling. I went to UTIP. Now, let me just tell you about El Paso. El Paso is... I think the 22nd largest city in Texas. Is it Texas? I think so. So it's not a small place. However, there are not a lot of Black people there, right? There's a military base that's there. And so that's where most of the Black people come from. I lived on the west side of town, which was closer to the university. And oh my gosh, I did not see Black people. Maybe one or two every now and then. And the students that, that were at UTIP that were Black were mostly football players, right? And so that, you know, that was undergrad. So not to say, yeah, 
I rarely ever saw other black students. And in the program that I was in, I was the only black student. Now, El Paso is, I don't know the percentage, but it is a high, a high percentage of Hispanics at UTIP. I mean, in El Paso, they live in El Paso, but it was different, a different culture than the one that I'm accustomed to in Houston. So I was like, oh, I'll be in the city, you know, lots of minorities, so it won't be that big of a deal. Yeah, no. It was very interesting because they would look at me like they had never seen a black person before. And I remember someone asking me, was I black? And I was like, yes. So it, that was an interesting experience in of itself. And as part of the, I worked in a decision-making lab. It was a law, a jury decision-making lab. And so I had a the lab that I worked in, I had an advisor, but then I was also a teaching assistant for another professor. The professor was a male. Um, he was a white male. And needless to say, we had some issues. And what I later found out was, so I only found out that he did, he had issues with women. I can't say that he had issues because I was African-American, but I'm going to assume, right, because he had issues with women, he probably had issues with me because I was also an African-American. I don't know that for sure, but I do know he just made things difficult and challenging. And so I ended up, I don't know, I'm not, and I don't remember exactly what happened, but I ended up being removed from working in the, from working with him as his TA, thank goodness. And so all of my energy and effort went to working in the jury decision-making lab, which was a cool place, but I'm going to be really honest with you. I had a lot of imposter syndrome my first year just because I don't I don't know it was it was just a different place a different culture a different time and so you know I, I ended up finding you know some support there but psychology is a different breed it's a different I say different breed it's a different department it's a different academic area to go into and there weren't a lot of, I didn't have any African-American professors, like there, there just, there just wasn't. And so my experience there was classes were, you know, the same. Like I said, I had imposter syndrome. I remember calling my advisor at Grambling saying, you know, I, I am like really just struggling here. Like I'm isolated. I, I feel like I don't belong here. And she talked me through it. And, you know, she she told me, you know, I had that she had the same experience when she got to grad school because she was, you know, one of the only um, one. I think she was the only African-American student. And then, you know, as the program progressed, I was asking questions like this is not what you told me. This is you told me that I could combine, you know, my the, my love of the law and psychology, you know, doing being able to do counseling too. And so what they told me when they were trying to get me there. And then once I got there and I started not seeing the things come together, I started questioning it. And so it wasn't going to play out like they had said. So I started thinking about that. I started praying about it. I started talking to my mom about it. And she was just like, you know, you just don't, you just don't seem like yourself. So I don't know if this is the place for you. And so I started applying again to different you know, universities into their doctoral program. Um, and I think I even applied to some master's programs. And so I made the decision because I was like, I, I just don't want to be miserable for five years uh, just to say that I have this degree. And I realized too, like I said before, the whole 
portion of you know what they told me as far as being able to do counseling and this focus on the law it just wasn't working out like they said so I decided to leave and I told my advisor I was like this is no place for a single African-American female and so he was like what do you mean um and so we had a conversation about it and he you know of course said you know I wish you the best um I hate that you're leaving so packed up my packed up my stuff and left and I got into the master's program at Sam Houston State. Well, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I'm back in my hometown of Texas. And so surely there'll be other African-Americans in my program. No, there were not. I was the only one again. So, you know, again, that presented its own set of, of issues. And so you might say, well, what kind of issues did you have, you know, being the only one? And I, and I, uh, commuted back and forth. So I didn't live on campus or near the campus. And I can remember it was during my internship year and we we had two options to do our internships. We could either do the, the local university counseling center or we could do the prison because it was in Huntsville and Huntsville has a prison there. And so I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that prison. I told you I wanted to go into working in the prisons, but after realizing what all that entailed, I was like, you know what, maybe I need to start working um, a little bit further down the line before they get to prison. So we would meet to discuss our cases. And I know this is International Women's Month, so I'm sharing my story. And this is part of what I experienced. And some of it is going to be because I was a woman and some of it's going to be because I was black. <laughs> so just in case you're confused, like, what does this have to do with anything? Anyway, so we had um, one day we had a, a class discussion and we were we were doing consultation cases about our the different clients that we were working with. And so there was a, a young woman that was in my class. It wasn't that many of us. It was probably like, I would say eight at the most of us, eight at the most. And again, I was the only one at the table, but she was telling us about what the client said. And so she, every time she would, she would use the derogatory terms, the N word every time. So finally I had, I had enough I, in my head. I'm trying to figure out what do I say? How do I say it? Do I say something? But I'm feeling like all of this heat just rising up in me because I'm like, why is she saying it every time? Now, mind you, other people have worked in the prison, have been, you know, assigned to work in the prisons, but they, and they would repeat you know, they would tell us some of what the their clients would say, but if their client had used any kind of derogatory terminology, they would, like I said, the N-word, they would, you know, they wouldn't repeat all of the things. They would say, okay, well, you know, maybe they said, you know, shit, they, they may have said the S-word or, you know, they would say the N-word, but she kept repeating it. So finally I had to say something. And um, of course my professor was a woman. And so she backed me up. She's like, you know, we don't have to repeat, you know, repeat the language that they're using. That's their language, but we don't have to repeat it in here. And, and all, uh, all of this and all of that. So, you know, being, being a woman, and then being an African-American woman in programs that you're the only one and, and everybody, or it seemed to me at the time, thought that I was representing for the whole African-American population, it was tough. And so it, it just was a hard place to be in. And so I you know, graduated from my program at SAM. And of course, I still wanted to obtain my PhD. Now I had this plan and let me tell you, the Lord was like, yeah, this might be your plan, but this is not my plan. And so not to bore you with a lot of details. So I graduated from Sam Houston and 
I decided to, you know, I was, you know, back at home and I was like, I'm going to look for a job and I'm going to work towards, what was I working towards? I was looking for a job in my field and I did, I ended up getting a job, crazy as it sounds. So all the time while I was in grad school, I was doing long-term subbing and I loved working with the kids who had behavior issues. I just, I just kind of loved working with them. But anyway, I wasn't trying to be a teacher or any of that, um, but I did love working with the kids. And so when I graduated, I was looking for a job in my field, a way for me to gain some hours. And well, yes, yeah, so I was you know, working in the field, looking for a way to gain some hours. And I ended up getting a job in the local jail. I know it's so crazy. And that was an experience of it in and of itself. I did not stay there for long. I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with the, with the prison culture, with the, with the jail culture. There were so many things that we couldn't do. It was, it was, it was a lot. And I, I thought I was going to be, I, you know, if something else hadn't come along, then I would have, I would have stayed there because once I kind of, you know, make up my mind, like you know, as long as I stay here and I get the hours and then I'm able to move on, then fine. But I had gotten a, an interview at Gremlin to work in their counseling center. Now, was I all enthralled or entranced by moving back to the small town of Gremlin? Mm, no, not necessarily. But I was like, okay, I can, you know, I'll be able to get my hours. I'll be able to work with students. I'll be able to give back. So I was like, okay, you know, so interviewed and I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure why, what happened, but for whatever reason, I put in my notice at the jail because I wasn't feeling it. And then I, <laughs> I was waiting on my job. I was waiting on them to call me at Gremlin, right? Because I had a professor and he was telling me, yes, you know, they really loved you. They want you, you know, things just move slow. And so I ended up leaving there and I ended up going back into substitute teaching and you know, the Holy Spirit really pressed upon my heart. I took a long-term sub position to get certified as a teacher. Now I come from a long line of educators. And I was like, I didn't just go to school four years and then, you know, in grad school for three years and, you know, get a master's in psychology to go teach. Like, I don't want to do that. I do, I do not want to be a teacher. Are you a parent feeling overwhelmed and stressed out? Do you need support or someone to talk with about your concerns? If so, look no further. I offer parent coaching, specializing in working with parents of children with disabilities. Let me help you eliminate overwhelm and guide you to your next step. Go to nextstepseducation.com. That's next, N-E-X-T, steps, S-T-E-P-S, education, E-D-U-C-A-T-I-O-N.com for more information. Needless to say, <laughs> I did um, do the teacher certification program and I got my uh, teaching certification in special education. So how did I decide on special education? My mother is a, a special education educator. We're retired. And so, you know, she was like, I think, you know, this would align with, you know, psychology and, and the things that you like to do. So let me just go back because before this, my mom said, while you're in grad school, you should get a master's in school psychology. What is that? And Sam had a program and I had emailed the program director. And so she asked me to send her over all of these different, 
all of this different information. So look, I'm about to give y'all all the tea. So, and so I'm going to go back. So I had sent her all the information and um, she ended up being my, my, my um, intern professor. And so, so in one of my classes, um, I ended up with a C which I never understood how I ended up with a C because I had gone to talk to my professor um, and we had talked about it. We had, we had talked about what needed to have, what needed to happen um, on a test because I had gotten a test and I was like, why is this great like this? Like, this is not right. This is not right. And so he gave me some crazy answer and I was like, okay, I don't, you know, at that time I didn't really know what I could do in terms of who, who I could go to on, ahead of him or on, who was his boss to, you know, argue with what he was telling me. So come to find out, I ended up, you know, getting a C. And so if we speed up to apply for the program, so she saw the C and I guess that deterred her. But then as when I started working with her in practicum, in internship, she was like, I wish you would have, I wish we would have had a conversation or we would have met up. She said that professor is a known racist. And so I explained to her, you know, the whole issue with the C and she was like, yeah, you weren't going to win that battle no matter what you did. Wow. 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 So, so I digress, but I, I thought that was important to share uh, because I didn't know, I, like I said, it, it wasn't making sense to me. But then when she said that, I was like, oh, okay. But I just feel like that just wasn't God's plan. So I got my teaching certificate in special education and I taught for a year as a special education resource teacher and I was department chair. Don't I don't even ask. It was a lot. Yes. Trying to learn four jobs at one time <laughs> and trying to know like especially a lot. Oh, my gosh, it was a lot. But I really I really loved my principal and I really loved my school. And while I was doing that for the year, though, when I, you know, had researched more about school psychology and what that looked like, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. So I needed a few additional courses. So I took those classes during that year and I ended up getting a internship with Harris County Department of Education. And um, I ended up in this small town, lots of, if you're from Houston, then you know about Crosby. So I was like, oh my gosh, what kind of situation am I going to walk into being that it's a small town? I don't know that it's that many black people. Now, I didn't know about the, the history of Barrett Station when I took the, the internship position. And so Barrett Station is like the first African-American city in Houston. It's, it's got a lot of history behind it, but I didn't know that at the time. But there was a divide there too. And so everybody in the department, with the exception of there was a paraprofessional that was black, but everybody else was not, everybody else was not, was not black and my colleague who's now my friend she worked in the department we were all contracted through hcde so that was that was that was an experience it was an experience not only when i was young so i'm going into meetings and people are questioning like how old i was and if i knew you know if i knew what i was talking about so i always made it a point to dress the part I know that might, you know, that might sound, you know, people might have lots of issues with that, but I knew I looked young. So I always, when I say dress the part, I always was professional. And then, you know, people had questions about my ability to 
with the results of testing or anything like that, a lot of times I would, you know, just have to pull in my supervisor or just tell them like, this is, these are what my credentials are. So those were, those were interesting times. And I don't, I can't say that that happened a lot. And I don't know, it could have been a combination of the fact that I was African-American in this position, telling them that their kids had some kind of disability or the fact that I was young, probably was a combination of both. Um, again, because it was a small town. Now, Bear Station was different because Bear Station, like if you cross the street, there's, um, I think, Highway 90. If you cross Highway 90, you go into Bear Station. Bear Station had an elementary and a middle school. That was totally different. I mean, I was still young, but I was, you know, professional. And I just didn't have the same issues that I had on the other side of Highway 90 in terms of people questioning or credentialing my um, credentials or background. And so, just a difference. And so I worked there for two years. And then, you know, when I left, I mean, I had, I had been saying that I wanted to have a PhD since I left high school, right? Because that was the path that I, that I knew or that I thought would get me to where I wanted to go. So um, I left Harris County Department of, Edu of Education, and I went to work for Houston ISD as a LSSP, school psychologist. And I I really loved it there. That was the first time that I wasn't the only one. I wasn't the only um, school, you know, psychologist, LSSP that looked like me. I was not the only one. So I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I didn't even know that there were other ones. <laughs> there were other ones that existed. And so it was it was really refreshing. It really changed my whole outlook and it it really made me want to you know talk about school psychology and, and the importance of it because a lot of what I did was put you know I don't want to say diagnose kids but so for lack of a better word because um, it's not really diagnosing in terms of it's seeing if they meet criteria as, as labeled by TEA for certain disabilities but it was you know what i realized and recognized was like there needed to be more people of color because there were so many kids of color getting labels that um, there were so many things that were not being taken into account uh, and taken into account when testing was done. And so from working in HISD and from working with other assessment professionals that look like me, we all knew that. But because I had come from other you know working at the envi work environments where I was the only one, that wasn't that wasn't always the case, and that still continues to be. So the percentage of school psychologists that are African-American is still minute in comparison to, to um, non-African-Americans, but most of the kids that are being tested, a good percentage of the kids that are being tested are, you know, children of color, and they don't have assessment people that look like them, and it makes a difference. It just does. Sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> So again, I wanted to pursue my PhD and it had always been my thought that it, you know, it would be easier to, you know, have a PhD and to go to school without kids and a husband. Let me tell you, the Lord did not agree with my plan <laughs> because my plan was to, like I said, it was to finish undergrad. It was to be in a five-year program once I finished undergrad and then to do all of this stuff that I wanted to do and to not to get married and have kids well into my 30s. I met my husband two months after, was it two months? A month after I graduated from my master's program. 
Yes. And I, we got married two and a half years later. So out went that 30s thing. Then I told you I left my program at UTEP and I got into a program at SAM. So between my program, between getting my master's at SAM, getting my teaching certification in special education, getting my license as licensed specialist in school psychology or school psychologist, and, and I also got my license, my LPC license, and also became an LPC supervisor. So in this span of time, these are all of the things that I accomplished, but I still hadn't accomplished getting, you know, getting my PhD. Now, I'm just going to be transparent. I had applied to a couple of programs and I hadn't gotten in and it was really, you know, it was really frustrating and had a conversation with the Lord and he asked me to lay it down. So I was like, okay, you know, well, obviously, you know, if I'm, if I got to lay it down and surrender it, it, that means you have just have something greater in store, right? Not realizing that it was going to be 15 years later that I actually graduated from my PhD and had a husband and some kids. And so I started my PhD program. So before all of this, though, I had been praying for a program that would allow me to build on the skills that I already had and not necessarily have to start over. I didn't want to be in school for five, six years. I just I just was not interested in that. And then I at that point, I didn't want to be in a program that was going to make school my whole life. Um, a lot of times psychology programs, they're kind of like all or nothing. I mean, now you probably have more options, but as far as like becoming, you know, a PhD program, it's not a lot. There's not a lot of leeway. I talked to another colleague of mine and she had gotten into a PhD program here in the city of Houston. And her director was like, she had kids and a husband and her director was like, can your mom, you know, take your kids while you're in this program? <laughs> she was like, what? But that's at the time that that was the thought behind psychology programs, like your main priority and focus needed to be on the program. And I, you know, I had been there with UTIP and I just was like, I don't want to do this again, even with, even to some degree with Sam, but I was like, I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't, this school can't be my whole life. It just can't. So the program that I, you know, like I had been praying for, I was like, okay, build on the skills that I already have not a five, six, seven year program. And the program that I ended up getting into was a PhD program in educational psychology with an emphasis on school psychology. And you had to be licensed to get into the program. And it was building on what we already knew. Um, so we took, you know, applied behavior analysis classes. We took, you know, educational psychology classes dealing with like multiculturalism and just different things like that. So it was just building on what the knowledge and the skills that I already had. And that was, that was really a blessing. Now, let me tell you, it's always, there's always compromises. So the program, we were the first class, my class was the first class that this, the program was kind of founded on us. And so we had to travel when, and I say we had to travel. I graduated from Texas Tech. I live in Houston. Houston is 12 hours away from Lubbock. So Again, I, nothing is 100%. So I had to travel once a month to school and then two weeks in the summer. And I started the program when my baby was six months old. So yeah, nothing, 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 nothing about how I had planned or thought things would go 
or the way that I had even envisioned or wanted them to, right? Because I was like, it'll be easier if I don't have a husband and kids and I can just be fully focused. That was my initial thinking. And I can just be fully focused on school. But the Lord had other plans. And so I am so grateful and thankful that he did. And I finished my PhD in um, 2018. And so what I, and I'm sharing all of that with you guys because the, the dreams and the goals you have set for yourselves, they're not impossible to achieve. You can be a mom and a career woman. It just may look different. And the roads of getting there may be different than what you had initially set out for it to look like. No, it is not what I had planned and it is not what it looked like. But I'm so grateful to God that he intercepted my plans and he allowed me to experience you know, all the things that I experienced and uh, allowed me to have a family. So I had my bachelor's and my master's before I got married. I had my, my license in school psychology license before I got married. Now I got my LPC license while I was married. And then of course I finished my PhD with a husband and two kids. <laughs> I was so excited and happy that on graduation day, cause there were, let me just tell you, there were many times when I wanted to quit. But I was so happy and excited on graduation day when my boys, you know, were in the stands and they were clapping for me. Now, my baby was three, so he was just clapping just to clap. But um, they were able to, you know, they were happy and excited because I was happy and excited. And so they were able to actually see, you know, what the work that I had done, um, where it went to and what the outcome was. And so, you know, that was that has been a great they are, they are my motivators. And so I just wanted to share a little bit about, you know, my story and, you know, the, oh, so I didn't tell you, I did not share this, but again, the program that I got into at Texas Tech, I was the only African-American woman. I believe there were, originally they were married, there were seven of us, but then in the end, it was just six. And so Psychology is, it's, it's just a different field. Um, and again, it's, it's different now than it was then because you, you just have more, you just have more options now that I did not have available to me at the time. And I, and I still think that there are lots of grad programs that, you know, want you to be on campus, want it to be a priority, but you, you know, you can find some programs that are able to blend the two together. And so, you know, if you're looking to get into the field of psychology, just know that there are many ways to get to the point that you're trying to go. And it's not impossible to have, you know, both a family and a career. It just may look different. The, the process, the journey to getting to where you want to go just may look different than what you had planned. But if you are a person of faith and you trust God, just know that he will do more than what you could ever ask, hope, or imagine. So that's my story. If you have questions about psychology or wanting to be a psychologist or even any of the things that I've shared, you know, reach out to me, send me an info, uh, email at info at mahoganymoms.com. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at, at Providential Counseling. And so you can go to the website and drop us a, a form on the mahoganymomspodcast.com website. So reach out, reach out, reach out, reach out, reach out if you have questions. And um, yeah, so um, hope this has helped someone or um, <laughs> you all have a great weekend. 
that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Mahogany Moms podcast with me. If you like the podcast, please show your support by sharing it and leaving a review. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to mahoganymomspodcast.com. Until next time.